Welcome one or welcome all. Thanks for joining me on the latest episode of Coffee with a Maniac. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever you'd like to drink. and Give me a listen when I break down the police tactics in all of our favorite horror films. I'm Shane the Maniac. I'm a 15-year veteran in law enforcement. I've had various assignments, sexual assault detective, property detective, training officer, training coordinator. I've taught on college campuses. I've been on a fugitive apprehension team and many, many more assignments. I've spent probably a 1,000 hours testifying in court, murder, rape, robbery, all of those cases. If you've seen it on a movie, you've seen it on TV, I've probably got some experience with it. I want to thank my man, Dark Mark, for the incredible intro song. And with that, let's get on with the show. On Coffee with the Maniac, we have a three-part show. The first part is current affairs, whether it's an update on my life, what I've been up to, if I'm watching a new movie, a podcast, a book, I'll give you a recommendation or an update. Second part is when I go to a deep dive of police tactics in our favorite films. And third and lastly, it will be a review of the film, the officers, the tactics, the filmmakers, all of the above. And as always, if you have any suggestions or if there's a film you'd like me to cover, please send them. All right, first up, let's get into some current affairs. Wait, what? I'm just goofing. New boot goofing. All right, I'm sitting here enjoying a nice cup of Black Rifle Company's Silent Smooth. Cheers to all my listeners. First off, I, I want to let everybody know how grateful I am. My last episode on Scream, if you haven't heard it yet, you can find it wherever you get your podcast. I received some really, really good feedback from all my favorite podcasters. I super, super appreciate you guys sharing it, retweeting it, recommending it. It meant a ton to me. And for all you guys that reached out to me, about the struggle I've been having or I was having and am having with about my mom. I so appreciate it. And a lot of you guys reached out to me on Mother's Day. That meant so much to me. Um, I just want to thank you guys. Thank everyone involved. Some of my favorite podcasters, uh, Jay the Dead, Josh Legary, Wolfman Josh, gave me some super good tips and tools of the trade, they would say, and suggestions of how to better this podcast. So you will see those and you will hear those. I'm going to incorporate those into the podcast. I think I said incorporate. I don't think that's a word. Wow. Okay, that's pretty embarrassing. I'm going to leave that in for you guys can see that I still just make up words as I go along. So as you listen, you'll hear things different, such as I'll be giving you guys my review of the overall film prior to the police tactics. You'll hear me now. I'll be giving out a donut rating instead of just the 1 through 10. These are all came from some of our uh, our favorite listens. So I, I appreciate you guys helping me out. One of the things I've got is I got a little bit of pushback about some of my more hyperbolic statements I've been given. I, I, it's been pointed out that I say, yeah, that wouldn't happen a lot when it comes to the police work. And it's been pointed out, yeah, it probably would happen. And you're, you're right, it would. The issue I had was, I was watching, let's say, Scream from last episode. There's a lot of stuff Dewey did where I said, that wouldn't happen. And the reality is, in my experience, we would not do that. I would not do that. My partners would not do that. Nobody I've ever, 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 ever worked with would do that. However, that character, Dewey, he would absolutely do that. So I'm going to 
try to break it down a little more of why I see that character doing it and why you wouldn't want to do that. And I'm going to be rating the officer, the detective, the chief, whatever, an overall cop score, a donut rating at the end of every episode. I'm going to do that because, honestly, I don't want to discount what's in the film. There's a lot of things that are super unrealistic, as we all know. However, for the character that we've met and we've seen and we've grown with, such as Dewey, it's super realistic for what type of cop he is. Which, by the way, is not a very good one. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to that episode. So I'm going to make this quick. Um, just want a couple things about my life, just personal life real fast. Uh, I said it earlier, and I'm going to say it again. All you guys that reached out to me on Mother's Day, thank you. Thank you so much. I did. I, I actually did pretty good. Um, we had dinner, no tears, drank a bottle of wine with my wife, great day. I got into bed, and I went full on belly crying, ribs hurting, body shaking, sobbing like I haven't done in a long time. So uh, that was cool. I was sitting there telling my wife how embarrassed I am, but I do appreciate everyone reaching out to me. We've uh, It's been almost two months since I put the Scream episode up. So I've had my oldest son graduate high school. I had my daughter get out of preschool. No, kindergarten. Oh my God, don't ever tell her I said that. Kindergarten. And I had my middle son go into middle school. So we've been very busy. We've had family in town. And then I got a nice little duel with the old corona. I, felt, I actually didn't feel that bad at all other than I was so, so tired. I actually, I didn't really mind it because I just slept for like days and days. So I'm back. I'm going to try to put out an episode every month or so. Uh, hopefully through the summer. One, once a month, maybe once every three weeks, depending on the time I get. I just wanted to be proud papa here. I was working. I had a trainee a few Fridays ago, and I got a call from my mother-in-law who was here for my kid's graduation. And he goes, hey, Shane, there's a fire down the road. And I go, is, all, is everything okay? Is our stuff good? Do I need to come home? I live about 45 minutes from work, so it's a bit of commute. She goes, no, no, everything's good. And then 20 minutes later, the phone rings. And she goes, so, Shane, I go, yeah, what's up? Is everything okay? She goes, I want to tell you, um, your oldest son, he went over there and he pulled two people out of the fire. And he watched someone burn to death. So obviously me, as concerned dad as all of you would do, I'm like, I'm on my way home. So essentially he saw a fire, you know, about a half mile down the road and Jumped in his car, ran down there. There was a lady that had her shoes on fire and another guy who had his pants on. And my son ran over there, pulled him to safety, put the fire out, tried to get to the third subject who unfortunately perished. Um, you know, I've got him in some counseling and everything now. So it's tough to go through. I mean, I, I have an idea of how the PTSD works. So I've got him trying to get him squared away. But, you know, he's a dang hero. Um, he just on his own. 17 years old, jumped in his car, took off. Some of you guys know, I've kind of figured out over some of my posts where I live. So if you do know where I live, you can just Google it, house fire, and you know, deceased, and you'll find it. It's right there, and you'll see my house in the photos down the road. So, you know, I just want to give my, my boy a shout out and proud of him and 
what a hero he is. Okay, so that's it. All right, guys, let's get into this. We are going to be reviewing an 80s classic, Child's Play. Everyone has a birthday they'll always remember. Can we open my presents now, Mommy? A good guy! I know it! Hi, <laughs> I'm Chucky. He's something, isn't he? This is Andy's. Time for bed, Andy. Good night, baby. Good night, Aunt Maggie. Accidents happen at home. How did that happen? This is no accident. Andy! I'm Detective Mike Norris. Homicide. Andy! Miss Peterson's dead. Barclay. She fell from the kitchen window. Someone's moved in with the Barclay family. And so has terror. Nobody believes you about Chucky. He came alive in my hand. I, I, I... Oh, for God's sake. Why won't you believe me? Because I'm sane. This is Barkley sane and rational. All right, so Child's Play, released in 1988. The writers were Don Mancini, John LaFia, Tom Holland, and Tom Holland also directed the film. It stars Catherine Hicks as Karen, Alex Vincent as Andy, Brad Dorf, voicing Chucky and Chris Sarandon as Detective Mike Norris. All right, we're going to start out with, honestly, the very first scene of the film. This is where the detective is chasing the bad guy that becomes Chucky, and there's a running gunfight. So they're running through the streets, the detective's firing, the bad guy's firing, and they're doing this running, active gunfight. The detective's yelling about it. And then you, you see the uh, a cop car comes up, drives right past the suspect because he's going to now chase the getaway car in that van. So, um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm assuming everyone knows this, but if there's a dude, you know, a serial killer, who's having an active gun battle with the detective, the unit, the, the officer driving the police unit, wouldn't drive right past him. He would actually stop and help. Um, this is like basic stuff. Like my my, my seven-year-old would know this. So that that is honestly, we're going to get it out of the way now. This is the worst cop portrayal in the entire movie is that one right there. Drives right past the guy who's firing at his partner. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go get the dude in the van. They know who the guy in the van is. The guy in the van's not firing guns. So they probably want to go chase the van. But that's what he did. So um, that, was, that was hilarious. I, I just laughed when I saw it. I'd actually forgot that scene until I just rewatched this morning. It's all right. So the the serial killer runs into the store. And he, like, he kind of hides, right? So here we have, we have the... Uh, 
detective, you know, Mike Norris, he, when he comes in and he enters, he just kind of stands right in the doorway and he's got his gun out. So the doorway is what we call fatal funnel. I've talked about it before. Uh, it's just a little area that you can't get out of. Right or left, you run into the door. So you, you don't want to ever stand in that. Also, it's usually the best lighting, too, because you're backlit. So that's the most visible you're going to be the entire time. So in reality, what he would have liked to have done, or what I would have liked to have seen him do, is get into that store, step off the center axis, step to the right, step to the left, don't backlight yourself, get out of that final funnel, and then start your search. He actually does a pretty good job searching. I mean, it's kind of drama up, you know, when they're shooting under stuff and all that, but it does a pretty good methodical search. It's, it's where he uh, ends up shooting the serial killer. He's got several gunshots to the chest, and then he somehow is he, he's basically dying, but he's suddenly able to grab the Chucky doll and start yelling and chanting, but he's not able to walk. So I don't know if you guys know how, like, physiologically the body works, but if he is having the symptoms he's having, with the injuries to his upper chest, he's not going to be able to elevate his speech that way. So that's unrealistic, but it's, you know, it's plot, plot fodder for the movie to how he, I mean, this is a movie about a serial killer embodying of becoming a killer doll. So, you know, we're going to take it for we will. So let's jump to the 24 minute mark. So this is where the friend, the mother's friend has, taken the hammer I think it was and went out the window and she's fallen down to her death and mom's showing back and sees the police line around the house so I've talked about it before about the perimeter I hit it up in the other two episodes how terribly perimeters are shown in movies they actually did pretty good in this one um, you'd like to extend it more you'd like to make it bigger but on these very very busy streets it's hard to do so now, if you notice the way they situate the vehicles they do them as like uh, they kind of triangulate the vehicles where they put the nose kind of diagonal and the other nose diagonal so they're touching each other so they look like a pyramid. The way they did that is to protect the community from seeing the deceased body. And that's super realistic. That's actually a very, very good job. That, that was a tactic that was used a lot in the 80s and even 90s. Now, obviously, everybody knows we have pop-ups and whatnot to protect the crime scene integrity. But that, so they they did awesome on that. But then the mom shows up, and for some reason, there's cops everywhere, and they're keeping everybody out. And then she just walks right past them and into the apartment complex with nobody speaking to her. She walks right through the front door. Um, that was interesting to me. You would like to have them stop her and say, hey, who are you? Do you live here? And if she lived there, they would escort her to her room. Now, in this case, being the crime scene, they would probably notify whoever was in charge, that, hey, the homeowner's here, the occupant's here. They wouldn't just let her walk right past. So so now mom enters the, the house, and it kind of scans around. And there's, there's this cop. He's sitting on a couch with his feet up reading a newspaper. Um, albeit that's hilarious. Um, I've never seen that in 15 years. I've never been on a crime scene where there might be a possible murder and a guy just like kicks his feet up and reads the newspaper funny 
not realistic. That dude would be kicked out. It's like we said in the past. I've, I've hit this a lot. That crime scene or that scene would have be much more controlled. There's like 60 cops in there. There'd probably only be three or so. There'd be a crime scene log. I've talked about it in the past where it basically log in who goes in and the reason for going in is for crime scene integrity. Listen to the other two episodes. I break that down a little more. But that would be there. There would not be 60 of them. They definitely wouldn't be in there cooking apple pies and reading newspapers and playing the Nintendo. They definitely wouldn't be doing that like they showed in that movie. So, so when mom goes in and runs into the detective, he actually does a super good job. This is one of my favorite parts of the movie, actually. He, take, he separates them. And he goes, hey, I need to talk to you outside. And they go outside and they're talking. And this is when he's going to give the death notification. Uh, I've given many death notifications. They suck. They're the worst. And everyone reacts different. I've had people scream at me. I've had people yell at me. I've had people throw things. I've had people break things. I've had people just act like it didn't happen or immediately need to make phone calls. They suck. And he did a good job on this one. Usually what I like to do is uh, have some, hey, can you have a seat? Do me a favor, sit down. At that point, usually people know something's coming, so they don't want to or some will. It just depends. And you have to be straight up. Like, hey, this is, you know, husband, wife, whatever, your son. You know, unfortunately, I regret to tell you that Jimmy Joe Bobby uh, was killed in a motorcycle accident today. You have to be direct. You have to because you can't, oh, I'm really sorry, but I have to tell you because they just need to know. They're waiting. They're anxious. You have to be direct. You have to be specific. You can't speculate. You just have to give them what you have. You have to give them the facts. And he does that here. He says, blank, blank, I forget her name. Uh, she's deceased. He's direct. He's to the point. And it was awesome. Uh, I, I really liked that. Uh, this is, they, they, you know, they go into the kitchen and they see the little tiny footprints and whatever sugar, salt, whatever is spelt flour. I'm not sure what it is. And the detective starts being like, Andy, let me see your shoes. Um, that might happen. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 in my experience, working with the mother would be a better idea. Like, hey, listen, there's a footprint. We got to figure out what happened. I, I need to make sure Andy wasn't up here. If he was, I need to find out. Do you mind having Andy show us her sh- his shoes? Your mom, he'll talk to you, kind of go talk to him what happened. You wouldn't do this like, well, I wouldn't. I mean, some people may because some people are idiots or just do things different. Idiots. Um, you wouldn't really try to trick the kid into it. And you wouldn't try to do it kind of deceptively in front of mom. You'd elicit mom's help. And mom would almost 100% of the time, she's going to help you. So obviously, spinning off of that, the mom gets upset, right? And that's when she goes, I need alone time with my son. You guys need to get out of here. And they do. They comply and they get out of there. So I... You know, I, I know I said earlier, I'm not going to do like that wouldn't happen. But in my experience, in my career, and my years and years of investigating, and I've been on scenes where there's been deceased people, suspicious deaths, we would never walk away. You would not leave. There's no way. Um, you're There's a death of a person. Death of a person is a homicide. 
death of a person with intent or foul play, that's what we call murder. Your lady fell out of, like, what, fourth, fifth, sixth story? You're investigating now if this is a murder. Your investigation takes precedent over her wanting to spend time with her child. So if she was insistent on you leaving, you would do what's called locking down the house. You would essentially remove her from the house, remove the kid to protect the crime scene. Constitution gives you that authority, and you would get a warrant. More than likely, what would have happened on this case is once they would have seen the female, went upstairs, found the scene, they would have went through it, made sure nobody else was in there, nobody else was hurt. They would have came out, they would have locked it down there, and they would have got a warrant at that point. Then when mom came home, they would have said, oh, hey, here's our warrant. Here's the judge signature. We're just doing crime scene processing. There, You would never, ever, 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 and if you did, you should be fired. Walk away from a murder investigation because the mom wants you to. I mean, what if you went to a house and there's a kid dead inside and the mom and dad goes, you know what? You need to leave now. And you're like, ah, oh, you got me. Can't investigate this anymore. <laughs> Boy, you're a genius. And you walk away. Yeah, you can't do that. that that's something that is just common sense 101. So they would not leave in this situation. And if they did, they would end up being on a Netflix documentary down the road sometime, deservedly so. The mom doesn't, the, the homeowner in that situation during an active crime scene does not dictate law enforcement. If they don't know if it's a crime scene or if there's nothing super suspicious, they absolutely do. Someone walks into your house and goes, I go, hey, it's me, Shane the Maniac. I'm coming in. And you go, why? And I go, well, I just want to have a look around. You can say no. And I'm like, all right, deuces, see ya. But if I come in or I knock on the door and I look in and I see an active crime scene, at that point, that's my scene. I own that scene. I will get a warrant if I have to. Don't really need one, but I will just to, you know, dot my eyes, cross my T's. Another thing, a really small thing, he goes, you know, I need the autopsy tomorrow. Um, maybe in big, big cities, they have 24-7 autopsies. I've worked in cities of million people. I've worked in large agencies. I've never seen an autopsy done the same day. It's almost always a couple of days down the road. Autopsies are very thorough examinations of the deceased with various chemical tests, blood draws, um, I've worked in a coroner's office. I've done many autopsies. Uh, they kind of have a... The worst thing about them, honestly, is the smell and the sounds. But they want to be done the next day. Something small. All right. So we're going to jump to the 39-minute mark here. So this is when the guy that was in the van... You remember the guy in the van, right? The, the one the cop drove past the guy actually firing at his partner to go chase that van. That's when this dude... Basically gets blown up, right? Chucky goes in there and opens the, uh, turns the gas on and opens the oven and lights it up with the gunfire. For one, like, I don't know if you've ever seen how fires work, but that explosion does not meet that gas leak. Um, I'm not a firefighter. Uh, it's very clearly established. I love my firefighters. I like how they always wait down the road until I tell them it's safe. They always make awesome dinners too, and the football game's always on on Monday nights at their place. But that's not how fire works. But so afterwards, they get Andy. They go to the station, and when mom shows up, they put mom and Andy in the same room. That's awesome. That's great. I, I said it earlier, but 
with children, especially that young of children, the parents are an awesome resource at traumatic events. Kids are naturally untrusting of people that aren't parents. And that's one reason that kids will be, you know, I, I don't want to get too grim, but when they're victims of sexual abuse by the moms or the dads, it stays hidden for years because they're trusting of the parents, even when being done wrong. So putting Andy and mom together was a great idea trying to figure out what happened. That was awesome. I do that all the time. I've done that all the time. I've investigated a ton of children crimes. You know, I, I, I hit it off in the top. I, I was sexual assault detective. I Unfortunately, I've done many, many, many children cases. The, the ones where the parents are the suspects or family friends, those are usually the ones you don't want your parents in when you talk to the kids. Sexual abuse is usually the only one that you're you're going to put usually counselors or you know victim witness or something like that in there. Um, otherwise, you're almost always going to have parents with the children. Uh, they're great resources. I've had it before where the kids will not respond to me, but if I ask mom or dad and dad then asks the same questions, kids will talk to them. I've also had it and vice versa where kids have knowingly like they don't want to talk when their parents are there and you ask them a question they look at mom and dad and they won't talk those are the times i'll ask mom dad hey listen i do it separately of course i think i can get more without you guys in here he's shy he's embarrassed he's whatever and uh 80 parents leave the other ones they don't i mean my personal belief is the ones the parents don't leave are the ones that they're worried what the kids are going to say um, which I, we get that a lot, unfortunately. But I thought that was an awesome job. This is also where they have this doctor. They have like a clinician. If you don't know what a clinician is, they're the people that are able to essentially commit people into mental asylums. Um, so for us, we have mental holds. So if you're going to kill yourself or something, I can, for your own safety, I can take you to a hospital and drop you off. At that point, the clinician shows up, interviews you, sees if you're good to get released or good, you have to go get housed somewhere. So there's a clinician in the other room, and he gets on the speaker, right? And he goes into the uh, interview room and says, basically, they're going to hospitalize Andy. Um, that might happen. They might hospitalize Andy on that. It's usually going to be a parent's decision, or parents are going to have input. Like in the state I work in, I can't do protective custody, like mental holds, like they're doing here for children. Parents have to do that. And if parents refuse, I then have to basically take the kids into protective custody like via CPS, which sucks. And I hate doing that. But one thing I know is I would not be okay with a doctor getting on a loudspeaker and loudspeakering in to mom, two detectives, and Andy that he's going to be committed to a mental hospital. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. He would probably go talk to the mom more private setting, let mom go in, let mom sit down with Andy and say, hey, you know, we're they're going to take you here for your safety and blah, 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 all that good stuff. But, um, you know, in episodes past, I've done a lot of just making fun of this the films, but I, I like this one. It's one of the reasons I picked this one is because they do a pretty good job with cop work here. All right, 47-minute mark. This is where the mom goes to the police station to find the detective, and he, she basically says, hey, Chucky's the doll is the bad guy. And he's the detective is super dismissive. 
um, basically says she's crazy. And usually I'll watch the, I'll, I'll watch these movies and I'll get on this podcast and I'll talk about that's not how I would do it. I might be honest with you. That's a, probably exactly how I would do it. Um, yeah. I'd be she's showing up and saying there's this talking living doll going out murdering people. And I, I don't, there's no way I could take her serious. I've had, I've had people tell me crazy things. Uh, you know, I've gone to cars that are completely tinfoiled because the aliens are trying to get in there. I've had people crawling on the street because they're being followed by the CIA. I mean, I've had tons and tons of stuff where it's delusions or a manic state or whatever. And I would 100% chop this up exactly like he did. And then the my favorite part, it's probably my f- favorite cop part of this entire movie, is... When she essentially says, well, I bought this doll. She names the part of town, and it's a dangerous part. And he goes, that's dangerous. And she runs off, and the camera looks at him. And I mean, pardon my language. I'm just going to quote the movie here. And he goes, God damn it. I love that part. And here's why. You might watch it and think he's just upset about it. But here's how I look at it. He had a lady come up to him who reported there's a serial killer doll running around. And he's determined, basically, she's manic. She is having a mental crisis. And now she is running to this dangerous part of town. With the info he has, he has a due diligence. And he has an obligation to make sure she's safe. So the way I look at this is when she takes off running, he knows at that point. He's not going home. He ain't going to dinner. He's not going to go have a glass of whiskey. He ain't doing anything like that. He's now got to go trace this lady downtown and make sure she's safe. Which is why in the next scene, when the dude she bought the thing is, is grabbing her and kind of, you know, push, forcing himself on her, he shows up. That's completely realistic. He has to. He has to go down there. Or he has to get other people too. Because here's why. If he determined in that brief interaction that she was in a, psychotic mindset, a mental crisis, whatever, and she was putting herself in harm and he did nothing and she got killed, that's on him. He's responsible for that. He's got an obligation to protect her. And I think when he said, God damn it, he knew at that point his night was going to consist of chasing this lady around in this dangerous part of town. And so that's, you know, the other part I'm, I'm going to get to. It's he, he finds her and he, he grabs this guy who's, force himself on her and he knees her knees him in the stomach and he takes his gun out and he points it at everybody so you know I (laughs) probably would suggest not pointing your gun at 15 bystanders probably a bad idea and you know the right thing to do is if you're going to use force on someone is to probably be able to justify it which he could he could justify pulling him that guy off her don't think he could justify kneeing her him but probably should write some paperwork on that. You probably can't just go around kicking people's asses and pointing guns at people. But, I mean, this is also a movie about a killer doll, so I get it. Um, but <laughs> I always find that I always find that funny. God damn it. Oh, it's so funny. That's, I've had many nights like that where you think your night's almost over and something pops up right in front of you or 
someone who drives crazy and stops in front of you and he jumps out. And it's just someone who's going through a crisis and they start saying stuff. They jump in their car. They take off running. And you're like, dude, I was five minutes away from going home. I guess I better call my wife because I'm not going home on time. The uh, One of the funniest parts of the movie is is right here where he's, they're talking about the serial killer and he basically says that I'm the one that killed him. And she goes, why didn't you tell me? And he's like, I don't know. Well, I know because you guys have met each other twice ever. And one time you're investigating a possible murder at her house. And then another time you're investigating her son, maybe blowing up a house and you're hospitalizing the son. It's not really small talk when you're like, so I'm going to hospitalize Andy here. And by the way, I killed a serial killer. Yeah, that's not going to happen. You're not ever going to tell anyone that. Like, if you've been in a shooting, you're not just going to share it randomly. I always found that funny. Why didn't you tell me? Well, woman, I don't know you. You're you're like, you have a kid. And you have a you have this kid who we hospitalize. You're telling me there's a killer doll out there. Like, of course I didn't tell you this. Why would I tell you this? It just seems like in the in the film, they try to act like they have this super close friendship relationship where for the most part they've been fairly adversarial the whole time I always find that I found that funny why didn't you tell me <laughs> so he does all this and then they get get to the house it's that 53 minute mark and he basically forces her out of the car and he's like I'm going home I'm having dinner get out of my car I don't think there's a serial killer inhabiting a doll and she just can't believe this is his opinion. Uh, yeah, I probably would do the same thing. I'd be like, hey, I got to go eat. Get out. You're safe. Go home. So right after that, you know, 54 minute mark, he goes back to the station and he has this file with the serial killer that embodies Chucky's name on it. Um, the movie kind of alludes to that he's this super famous serial killer that they've been investigating for years and years. But he's got a manila file folder with like eight papers in it. So the average case, let's just say the average, let's just go to a basic murder case. And I don't mean to downplay murder cases or there's nothing basic about a murder case and all that. We all know, I'm not saying that. But let's just say your average shooting, um, a gang shooting, let's say. Gang member A shoots gang member B. Gang member B dies. Gang member A gets arrested on scene. That's going to be about, if you think of the large boxes, uh, like let's say a tub, like a, one of the, like the totes you buy at like a Walmart or whatever. It's going to be about four of those. It's probably about 25,000 pages of documents from interviews, birth certificates, any past criminal history, thousands of statements there's going to be so much documentation so he's not going to have a file folder of eight things in in that and that's not going to be it uh, it's going to be so so much more i think we've all seen the the document documentaries about cold cases when they get back like you know backpacks and backpacks and suitcases full of documents and it's only a third of the file that's how it looks like. So he's going to have way more than that. Um, this same scene where he car crashes and he's shooting at Chucky and all that. He's running around. There's nothing really tactically here. I have nothing tactics. It's just the guy's kind of a crappy shot. 
he's shooting like Chucky would pass a window, he'd fire right where Chucky just was. Um, when you, you guys all know this. When you when you're gonna shoot at something, you need to lead it. So it's not you're not gonna shoot where he just was. You're gonna shoot where he's gonna be. So it's a pretty junky shot there. But uh, I found that scene funny. I always like it when the knife comes up right under his crotch. <laughs> so now we're at the hour two minute mark. The mom and the detective, they've gone to like I, I don't know what he is, but he's like the the witch guy who taught the serial killer how to do this with Chucky and they go in there and Chucky's already got in there and broke his legs up and hurt him. And I think he stabs him a bunch. They, they, so they enter the room and it's the detective and the mom and the detective looks at the dude and goes and grabs a phone and starts trying to dial, but the phone is dead. So detectives wear radios. Like they have radios, especially in the eighties and nineties. They had the radios. Now maybe you might go out, like I've gone out and investigated things where I knew there wouldn't be a suspect, where I wouldn't have a radio on me. I'd just have a cell phone. But in the 80s, they had a radio. So ideally, this guy would walk in and get on the radio and say, hey, I need medics. But my my biggest issue with this scene was he should have provided life-saving measures. The dude is on the ground. He's talking. He's like, save the kid. The cop is trained. He's a first responder. He's had to have done hours and hours of medical classes and, you know, triage. And he he should have done something to help instead of just be like, hey, hey, mom, why don't you handle that guy? Help him out. I'm going to go make a phone call. He should have packed wounds. He should have tried to stop bleeding. If he could have in some of the limbs, he could have put a tourniquet on. He could have done something. Um. She could have made the phone call. She knows how to use a phone. He probably should have done a little more to help that guy. So now we're in like the very final, the climatic scene. One hour, 11 minutes into it. Chucky and Andy are in the house or the apartment. The detective and mom are trying to get in. So the, the detective, he takes his shoulder and he slams it several times into the door. And then when he does slam it several times, he falls over because there was something that was barricading it, and he's on the ground. And then the mom, because she was behind him, passes him and goes in and confronts the threat. Um, Leaves him in a very, very vulnerable position when he falls down. So shoulder slamming of doors. Um, I've never done it. Well, I mean, okay. I've never done it as a cop. I did it as a kid, trying to get into my cousin's house and my cousin's room, playing around. But you don't slam your shoulder into doors. You kick doors. And you kick them because you can get so much more force. You hit right the when you kick a door down, you want to get just inside the handle. Because that's where the deadbolt is, and that's gonna break and push it open. And it's also gonna be the dead middle of it, just a bit to the left of it. So if there's anything behind it, it's gonna fly open and hit that. So then you can work on clearing the obstruction behind the door. The other reason you do that is because we've all kicked something. We don't fall over when we kick something. If you kick a door, the door opens, you're still standing. You're still out of the threat and you're in the hallway. Then you can get in there. You can move things over. You can push things over. When you take your shoulder and you go in, when that door goes, you've just put all your weight on that. You're falling over. And the reason we don't do that is in this case, you know, 
luckily for him, there's a homicidal doll inside going after the six-year-old. But in actual real-life scenario, let's say you've done what's called fresh pursuit. Fresh pursuit is when you're chasing someone wanted, they in our house, you have the legal authority to chase that guy right into that same house. So let's say you're chasing a guy, he goes into a house, he locks it, barricades it, and you run up, and you're like the Incredible Hulk here. You put your shoulder down, you slam the dude, you fall over onto the ground, and he's standing over you. Um, yeah, people are going to go to your funeral at that point. You're done. You're dead. Now, it's not a good situation to kick it and him still be standing there and wait. But when you kick it and the door opens, at least you're going to have the ability to move right, left. If you choose to go in to give commands, you know, like, hey, police department, come on out. Or kind of do a quick peek, which is you get around the corner, you just kind of put your head in quickly. Boom. I'm looking in quick. Boom. Slice the pie. You can do that. You see him. You can engage the target. You can engage him. Or if he's not there, you can go in and start your search. You're not going to put your shoulder down because you're not going to get yourself killed. And if you do and you die, then bad tactics. It's really bad on you. And we'll say nice things about you. And we're going to cry over you. You shouldn't have done that, though. So another another hilarious part is they go in and there's Chucky trying to do some like chant to encompass and go into Andy's body. And the detective walks over, picks him up and throws him. And then he gets on his hands and knees and he's like, Andy, are you okay with the mom? Listen, this doll has murdered how many people, including tried to like cut your balls off like in a car 30 minutes earlier. Um, you probably should pay more attention to Chucky. Probably should have thrown him, engaged the threat, stopped the threat, let mom deal with the son, make sure the son's okay. You can, your, your main priority at that point is taking care of that suspect. Make sure he's not able to harm anybody. But instead what he does is he, he throws him, and he, I, I guess he thinks even though he's been shot like three times, the doll's been shot, he thinks that throw's going to put an end to him. Then obviously what happens, he comes up with a knife, he slices the back of his calf, falls over, mayhem erupts, right? So what should have happened, what you would like to have seen is he, he would have addressed the target. He would have got him. He would have removed him. He would have put Andy in the backdrop. That way Andy was safe. If he needed to finish it, firearm, hands-on, whatever he felt was appropriate at the time. I'm If it's me and I'm fighting a killer doll who's murdered people, I'm probably going to use my firearm. But... That's just me. He should have addressed that threat, neutralized the threat, secured the threat. In this case, it's hard to, you know, handcuff a doll. But you could have thought of something, I'm assuming. I mean, they threw him in the fireplace later on. You could have thought of something to secure him, make him a non-threat at that point. Then you could have done victim treating with Andy with mom. So once his... Calf gets sliced, and he starts going through the house now looking for Chucky. He's doing the same thing from earlier. He's, he's standing in that fatal funnel. He's walking in the doorway, and he's standing there. He's got to move quicker. He's got to get in that and off to his side. Get off that axis. Get in. Go to your right. Go to your left. Be a little more aggressive. But what he does is he goes into this room, and he looks around and doesn't see anything. There's a bathroom. There's a hallway. I mean, there's a closet, a bathroom, and a bed. So he drops to his hands and knees. He looks under the bed. And that's when Chucky comes out with a bat and hits him. So the order you would do that, you would go into the room. 
you would visually clear everything you can. What's the most next direct threats? The door open, the bathroom. You look in the bathroom, boom, not there. Then there's a closet. Then you would go hit the closet, which in this case, they would have seen Chucky with a baseball bat. He had a firearm out. He could have addressed the target. You would not look under the bed. You would not do that. You would. What you would want to do is, you, and then he wouldn't want to do the bed at all. He actually would want to go to the next room, to the next room, to the next room. Clear every room in the building, including closets and bathrooms. Then come back and do what's called secondary checks. And that's now when you're looking under beds, you're opening up cupboards, things like that. Your initial safety scan of what he's doing is checking the most likely places for him to be. A closet, a bathroom, behind a door somewhere. You're not going to get on your hands and knees and you're not going to look under beds until you have the rest of the house finished and you know he's not in there. In this case, if he came in, boom, didn't see him, boom, didn't see him, went to the closet, he could address the threat. Worst case scenario, real life, you go in, the closet's there. You don't look in it. You decide to get on your hands and knees and look down at the couch under the bed. Yeah, it's going to be it for you. You're done. And, you know, then the movie ends and the fire and all that. So that's great. The only other thing I wanted to hit on is I should have done it probably the very first opening scene is when he's chasing the bad guy. Uh, just just for a general knowledge for everybody, when, you, when you're chasing a suspect, especially through a city street, if you've ever noticed in movies where the, the law enforcement officer, he goes very wide on corners. The reason you do that is because at a corner is the number one ambush spot, whether it be a, an attack, a physical attack, a violent attack with a weapon. Because if you cut corners, you're not going to have time to react. So if you go wide around a corner, you can see more visibly down that street. So if the suspect is right there on the corner waiting for you to come around with a knife and you go wide, you've got, let's say, eight or 10 feet distance between you, you can address the threat at that point. If you go super sharp and you take that corner super sharp like he does and he's sitting there with a knife, you're going to be probably seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve 10, 12 stab wounds before you can even react. So that's why they do that. They actually did a pretty good job on this. I think he took the very first corner super sharp, but otherwise he did good. Uh, he was hiding behind like the concrete pillars. We call that um, just cover, and then there's concealment. Concealment is something that can hide you but not stop a bullet. Cover can stop a bullet. He had cover at that point because a bullet's not going to go through that huge concrete thing. Um, although with that, you probably want to have your head halfway out like he did. But I just wanted to hit on that real fast with the foot pursuits. Okay, so that's it. Awesome. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some ratings out there. The, listen, I don't love child's play. I like it. It's fun. It's an 80s classic. And I know it's probably strange that the third movie I ever picked was child's play. You know, I did Scream and Halloween, two of my all-time favorites. Um, I chose it because I liked the police in this one. I liked the detective. I felt like he was one of the more accurate representations of a police officer or a detective in a film. And that's why I did this. So I will give the writers and directors seven donuts out of 10. So enjoy your donuts. Now, 
Detective Mike Norris. Eight donuts out of ten. Everything he did was believable. Some of his tactics were poor, like we went over. The the major thing he did was when he the original investigation where mom goes, I need to spend time with my kid. And he's like, Oh, okay, I'm out of here. Um that that's the only reason he got knocked down. If that didn't happen, fine. He's he's one of my favorite law enforcement detectives or cops in horror movies. So eight out of ten. The only other one I have is a opening scene. The cop who drives past the foot chase while the guy's firing guns. He's going to get what we call NRT. NRT, when you grade a new trainee, is not responding to training. It's like the worst thing you can get. So I'll give you a quick rundown. Um, So I am a field training officer. So part of my job, and I actually go back to work tomorrow and I have a new trainee, is I score bunch of categories, one through five. A three is the standard for a one-year officer. A one is basically you screwed it up. A five is you are awesome. NRT is not responding to training. That's about the worst thing you can get. If you start getting NRTs, it's about time to go. So I would have given this guy an NRT. I would have fired this guy. I would have signed him up for jobrecruiter.com. I would have gave him some Target and some Walmart applications. I would have given him anything. I would have let him go get a store at a grocery store. But this homeboy is not going to be a cop no more. He would have got zero donuts out of ten. And it was awful. You would oh, – it's so funny. Uh, so, yeah. So, zero out of ten for him. Okay. Guys, I appreciate it. Listen. You can find me on Twitter, at ShaneTheManiac. I talk to most of you guys all the time. Listen, if you guys can retweet this the show post, if you can leave me reviews, if you can spread the word, I appreciate it. I'm getting people from other countries contacting me now. It's super cool. I'm getting a lot of messages. I appreciate you guys. You just keep it up. Man, I, I super appreciate it, guys. So I'm signing off, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you have any other suggestions for another film you'd like, let me know. All right. Deuces.